This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I have a dynamic duo with me. I have Jeff Cavanaugh and Corey Glickman. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. It's our pleasure to join you, Caroline, today. Thanks, Caroline. Hey, I'm really jazzed about this conversation. We're going to talk about how anyone can elevate human potential while ushering a greener, more prosperous future. So how's that for a lead-in? Gentlemen, this book is so juicy. I devoured it when it was first released, and it was exciting uh, to read the book. You know, the beginning of it reads like a novel about nature and people. So I want you to to unpack that. But but help me help me understand the genesis of why the two of you came together to write the book. Well, Jeff, why don't you um, start out with this? Um, Corey, get us kicked off, would you? Absolutely, Carolyn. So this idea of really coming together and looking at this, what is the number one issue that we're really facing globally at this point is, you know, where's that future? And we all talk about sustainability and we understand it from an environmental perspective, but there's also the combination of the social and the economic uh, perspectives. And we realized that as we were pulling our thoughts together, that we knew quite a bit about technology and quite a bit about the economics and the social components, but there were so many other areas um, of expertise, whether it was in public and private sectors, whether it was happening at universities, whether it was happening within businesses that we had access to. So we really felt it was very important to take a, a book that was digestible and the stories, the scientific proof in order to help communicate and, and really start a movement of how can we actually accelerate the um, concept of this countdown that we're all talking about 2050 of when is, you know, what's that crisis point around the temperature points? And we said, we can go a lot quicker. We've been through this experience. We deal with businesses every day. Uh, We have tremendous contacts. And we felt that this was a project that we could contribute to and make a difference. This is a combination of a good idea, something passionate, and I'm sorry, it's getting shit done. Sorry. <laughs> people okay. are, are not focused. They, 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 there's a moral high ground and people leap to that because we all want to do these things. Even, even companies, well-intended. However, by skipping the business case, by skipping the practical aspect, things don't get done at the level of depth or the scale or coherently like your typical transformation program or large initiative. And Corey and I said, you know what? We need to focus this, especially given in our own company, we saw over the course of 10 years, we went to zero carbon net, carbon neutral. And, and if we could do that with the old technology that was already in place, we don't need to wait to 2050, or at least we can address most of it. So that was the genesis for it. And we wanted to make sure that it wasn't just a a document of a use case or a case study or what one company did, or even some interviews, it was a step-by-step approach that can be done at a policy level, so it's broad, planetary, at a process level, something enterprise, it's a company level, and at a personal level, something that someone can take action and feel like they're getting something done. And that's what propelled us through not just a good commercial uh, 
exercise, which which we do hope to get it out there. More importantly, it is a movement. So if we don't make a dime on this thing, which we probably won't, the idea is just to get it out there to hundreds of thousands and millions of individuals so they can embed this in their own life and their own company and as they act as a citizen in their own communities. So, Jeff, I'm going to hold you for a second and ask you to define for this global audience, what is practical sustainability? Because that may be a new term for some. Sustainability in its dictionary sense is the ability for inputs and outputs to balance, not to be too extractive, something that can persist and it's unstable. Applied, of course, to environment or ESG, environment, social, and governance, which is the more broad uh, definition of sustainability, it's having a, a company or an individual do this. But practical, and this is the difference, is taking a science based, human centric combination of this policy process and people. The science based is because we don't shy away from acknowledging it's hard, it's complex. Because if you, do, if you do, then you you won't get at the real real improvements. And at the same time, it's not all about quantitative calculations uh, at some planetary level that you can't quite relate to. It's about a person's experience, its health, safety. We learned a lot about that during COVID, didn't we? Uh, and so it is a science-based, human-centric combination that actually lowers or, or improves the metrics that matter for your environment, for social areas, and for governance. So I want to mention to our listening audience, and they'll see this in in the liner notes of of the show, Corey Glickman is vice president at Infosys and leads the sustainability and design business. And Jeff Cavanaugh is vice president and head of the Infosys Knowledge Institute. And gentlemen, you mentioned that Infosys is now carbon neutral, which is incredible. So what's holding companies back from adopting more sustainable habits. Why isn't everyone doing this? It just seems so obvious that it we, we've got to do it. Uh, I'll take this one, Jeff. So I think the intention for most companies is to do this. I think that there is a lot of um, strong leadership um, from the board level on down of recognizing the importance of this. However, there's also quite a bit of confusion, um, particularly around, do I trade off good economics for sustainability, right? You know, wh- how, how is my business going to adapt and survive um, as, I, as I make this change? How will my brand be perceived and all of these other elements that companies need to look at every day, right? To say, am I, am I running a business across here? I think added on top of this is the importance of the public and private relationships uh, with businesses um, and with the consumer. And as we all know, there's just, we always call it an alphabet soup of um, regulations, right? They all have different initials uh, of, through there of saying, how do I get through audits? How am I not greenwashing? Uh, how do I attract proper talent in order to establish a cross here? And unfortunately, a lot of it is still voluntary, right? So there are certainly standards set through the Paris Agreements and other um, institutions like um, CDF and, and, and other areas that basically say, this is what you should do. Here's your measurements and go do it. But nobody's holding people accountable. And it's very much um, like in our political system where you can make commitments 10 years, 20 years down the line, and you question whether 
the people making those commitments will still be with those organizations, right? So it is hard to establish and, and hold accountability. I think, however, um, as Jeff was alluding to before, that COVID kind of gave us a glimpse, right, of what happens when things don't work properly, if technology is not always the solution for everything, or if the supply chain or social um, awareness seems to take place. And I think that has actually lit a fire underneath um, companies to say, COVID was a glimpse of what happens when things are not in our control and they have you know, pretty significant consequences to you know, our lifestyles. Well, we all recognize what happens when most of the coasts are no longer you know, habitual or our fuel is not available to us for energy or that our relationships um, with each other socially are not progressive. So now this is becoming standardized and regulatory is coming in. And most importantly, what happens right now is we all talk about investors and so sustainable financing, culture, um, data, and um, the um, concept of um, technology in particular as a source is really the big questions that companies are asking. And they're used to the answering technology, but when it comes to social and when it comes to the new world of financing and economics, these are big questions that have to be answered. And I think that's been part of the blockers. So you write a lot, gentlemen, about how organizations can create smarter spaces, how we can make buildings safer and better for the climate. But I, I want to pull back a different layer because you opened up the threat of the pandemic and happily we're moving from pandemic to endemic. And we've seen such a shift in the world of work. We had to work remotely out of necessity during the pandemic, many of us, not all of us. And many organizations are letting go of that real estate footprint and adopting and embracing remote and virtual work. What's your take on that relevant to practical sustainability? Well, the big focus um, when we looked at the three areas we talked about practical sustainability was really around um, resilience. It was around circular economics. It was around smart spaces, around the human element, and it's around systems design of how do you look at complex systems. And one of the big reasons that we did focus on uh, smart spaces in particular is that 40% of the um, greenhouse gas emissions are actually from cities and buildings and the built environment and all the energy that goes into here. So if we don't solve this, it really doesn't matter what else we do because you're still not solving 40% of, of what's taking place here. So going to your you know question about you know what's the future of how people will use space, um, we certainly can look at it from a, a work uh, perspective. And I think what we've learned is that about one third of the work population will always be remote one way or another. It might rotate, um, you know, buildings will be rethought of um, to do accomplish certain tasks or create certain components. But we pretty much learned that we can get by with technologies and other ways of communicating such as we are right now. I think that it's also um, very, very um, important to recognize it's just not the working part of buildings. If we think about huge population shifts, just as we're seeing right now with what's happening in the Ukraine and across Europe, where people go and how that impacts these resources and energy and the economies, this is what's going to have to drive us to be smarter about the systems and things that we put in place. 
So with practical sustainability, what we are really offering is um, over 60 frameworks that tell you how to deal with that. And, and what are things that we can do that are in our power today? It's not future technologies. Uh, it's not things that are that don't have a measurable return on investment, but are actionable ways of having policy work along with technology, along with data that actually will improve the human element. Corey Glickman and Jeff Cavanaugh will be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Corey, let's dive a little deeper into that and, and Jeff certainly chime in as well. I love that the book is very uh, specific about how we can do things at a macro level and at a micro level. So we've got people listening around the world. Uh, if I'm um, a C-suite uh, listener and I'm thinking, what can I do in my organization? In addition to reading the book, what would you say is a good place to start? Well, I think the first place to start, which I think most organizations hopefully have done so, is you have to start setting ambitious goals of, of what you want to achieve and, and how you can achieve this. And you need to understand that the um, ability to just not set those goals, but publish those goals and then put in the proper frameworks and teams in order to then start eating away at those goals. It was very, very interesting. Um, one of the things that when, at least I've discovered um, when writing a book is, is you have a plan and you, you, you put a framework together and you do the best you can to communicate and write what you're doing. And then somebody will read that book and they will come back with a um, observation that would um, say, I did, I really write that. <laughs> It's a great observation. And both Jeff and I received one of these from a very well-known um, um, economist who said, okay, so I read your book and you're telling me for these very large, wicked problems that I have to take on you know, as a senior leader in a company that 50% of it can be solved in five years based off of what you're telling me. And then I'm going to see a return on investment in one to three years. And this is great, right? It doesn't solve 100%, but it gets me that first 50%. And Jeff and I quickly scrambled and said, did we actually commit to that? And we went ahead and <laughs> talked to uh, several um, not more people smarter than us at some academic institutions, at some businesses, um, people like yourself and others. And we actually confirmed that it was, it was a statement that we could stand by. And so you know, going back to your um, uh, you know, original question of where do you start, what we know is so if you can tackle 50%, that's an amazing start, Right. Um, it doesn't solve everything, but it, it's it's a really good start, and it certainly will accelerate um, those goals going forward. The second point is to recognize that it all starts with data and setting your metrics and having the ability to have measurements, because what you can't measure, you can't act upon. Then you need to really understand the concept of how sustainable financing works. How will that investor community um, take place in order to drive um, the funding of these programs and have good economics in, in sustainability. And then the technology follows through. 
So the technology uh, is really going to be that enabler along with financing in order to actually achieve uh, these quantitative results. And last but not least is the whole idea of cultural change. So as a leader, the ability of understanding what cultural change means at a board level, at a leadership level, and also at the level of the um, individuals across there. So Jeff, I'm going to kind of toss it over to you to kind of, you know, dive a little bit deeper into that. Well, that sounded very strategic and, and nice. I'll get a little more uh, tactical, a little, little less, uh, I guess, Michael Porter-like. There are four Ds. The first one, let's drag out our old Lean Six Sigma. It's de-intensify is, is, the, is the fashionable word today, but it's about reducing the electricity, reducing waste, reducing what we use. I think we can all relate to that, right? We've all come on from those um, initiatives, let's apply it now to these areas about energy, waste, water. Second is digitalize. By now we should all be connected. Our companies should be connected, uh, making decisions. Whatever isn't connected and censored up, get after it. Because then, like Corey said, you have to measure it. Well, you can't measure it if you're doing everything manually. And then you can put rules against it and automate and smart buildings can do their thing and, and, and everything. Digitalize. Third D is democratize. Federate these. It cannot be the high priest of sustainability who gets to go around, you know, sprinkling the holy water on, on unwashed masses. This is pushed out. Everybody has a role to play. There is a central group often for, for governance, coordination, guidance. It needs to, though, be democratized and uh, small wins out, out in the regions celebrated and, and shared with the learnings. And then fourth, decarbonize. Hopefully the first items will, will do a lot of that. What you, you, you're not able to address, the, you know, the residual with these offsets rather than writing, which is still painful, a big check for some kind of purchased carbon offset Think about doing good in your community. Think about that non-government organization, that NGO, that local government, or that local community. Do something that lowers their carbon footprint, that uh, increases their safety, helps something to do with social. That not only will offset your carbon and your footprint, it will do good for, the, for society, and it will actually lower the, um, the emissions in the world. So de-intensify, de digitalize democratize and decarbonize. And that's what we found is, is a successful path. So something that I actually dog-eared and highlighted in the book that, that struck me and that resonated was the human experience doesn't need to suffer to succeed here. I really loved that. And, and you go on to talk about resilience. Tell me more about that. I'll step in on that one, Corey. Uh, one good example, I was I, I do some adjunct work at the University of Texas, and someone was talking about how you, automation automatically reduces carbon. I said, no, if you really want to reduce energy, just turn all the air conditioning off in the middle of summer in the south. <laughs> that will accomplish it, right? But it does not hold the human experience in high regard. And so that's the balance. That's the constraint. And that's why we put that front and center. Safety, health, comfort, thermal comfort, all those you, you have to observe or respect while, while you do the other. And that's why we say it doesn't need to suffer. And so one of our uh, partners uh, out there, RxR Realty, uh, who manages much of Midtown Manhattan and, and 
millions of square feet of, of, of office space, they realized during the pandemic, for example, that it wasn't just efficiency and it wasn't just their, their tenants they had to worry about. It was the health and the safety and the perceived safety of workers. Was it safe enough? So all of a sudden, you didn't want the human experience, which in this case was, do I feel like I can go to work and I won't get sick? Uh, how's the air quality? How's the, has the body temperature as people are walking in the door? So that's where the human experience dictated or, or drove changes in that smart building, changes in that practical sustainability. And because they really went after that aggressively, it got more people back, helped them feel comfortable, and of course, was safer. That's what we mean by the experience. So, Jeff, you, you mentioned democratize, so everybody is involved, and, and I'll, I'll leave this as an open call to both of you. What's the role of diversity and inclusion in sustainability? So diversity and inclusion, you know, they're, they're more than just buzzwords, right? It, it is, is one of our big social topics again, right? So that's the big S in the, in the ESG. But when you have diversity and inclusion, it is this idea that the more depth and breadth of thinkers of different cultures and different societies look to you, you can solve problems much better, right? It just it can't be the um, well endowed or, or wealthy or leader nations or, or businesses that can be the only ones that come up with solutions. And I'll we'll, we'll break this down in two ways. So, for instance, you know, understanding the development countries, we do a lot of work, obviously, in India based since we're an India based company that we see a wide variety of heavy cities, but also a lot of rural villages. We do a lot of work um, in, in Africa, for example, and other areas. And that could be one way that we could say, well, we're looking at agriculture at this level, or we're looking at, you know, what's the reality of different kinds of thinkers. There's another level that's so important to us is that we often think that only people with master degrees or higher are smart enough to go solve these things, right? And that's not true. Because there's a lot of limitations to why people may or may not be able to um, get those degrees or have careers down that path. And it could be socioeconomic. It could be um, access uh, through here. But there's still brilliant people out there. I believe everybody is a designer. Everybody is a problem solver in, in their own way. And this ability of having more inclusive thinking um, and allowing for diversity and other components gives us a wider gene pool of solutions that are very tactical and are also very practical and understanding across there. And it's that strength, I think, that's always helped the human element solve through problems. So dream dream with me a bit and help paint a picture of what practical sustainability looks like if, if everyone is accountable and, and adopts this and, and really believes and and is all in. What does the world look like? It's a really good question. <laughs> um, so I, I would say that there's, um, I don't think you'll ever find any system where everybody buys into, right? We're all going to make decisions. But the one good thing about um, this challenge of sustainability is I don't think there's very many people on the planet that would say that it is the wrong thing to be focusing on or that it is a bad thing, right? Um, so the buy-in culturally is there getting down to making those decisions, however, of, um, what is the right thing to do for myself and my community? Um, uh, I always am an optimist and believe that people make the best decisions possible whenever 
whenever they're able to. So in that, in this perfect world, I think that the first choice is that one of the, let's take a step back. One of the biggest questions we get asked often a lot is from students at the college level that say, hey, I was planning on being a doctor um, or I want a career in engineering or I want a career in financials. And they're saying, however, I'm so deeply passionate about sustainability. Do I change my career? You know, what does that mean? And we say, no, it's it's you do what you're intending to do, but you start incorporating a sustainable you know, agenda to how you're doing that. And that's how the world will change. And that can be from somebody who has a deep university um, opportunity to a farmer in, in Africa that can, that can do this. And it can happen both upstream and, and, and downstream across there. So we often talk about micro changes and the ability to do little things. I actually keep an agenda um, myself every day. And I say, what are the two or three things today that I did that we're in the positive ledger of sustainability. I didn't use plastic today. You know, I never accept a straw at a restaurant per, per se, or I make sure the lights are turned off. Those are things that are in my control every day in my house. Um, but I also refuse to use plastic bags when I go grocery shopping. And there are things that I actually keep a ledger. And then there's things that I probably don't do so well, because guess what? I need that air conditioning on today to stay healthy. So we always encourage people to start agendas, um, share community um, information, get involved, you know, as much as possible. I know, Jeff, you have deep thoughts on this also. Oh, not sure how deep they are. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, uh, those, those are great things to start. I think on a personal level, it has to make sense to people. And that's where diversity also comes in, because what makes sense to you, even if we think this you know, the same objective how we internalize it's different. I think good critical thinking where you can reason and process facts, it, it's so important because then it's not buzzwords or who speaks the loudest or what you have to be exposed to. Uh, something as simple as the journal uh, also has to make economic sense. And this is not talked about enough. It's either one corner or the other, the room metaphorically. We need strong economy so we can fund the innovations for that next 50%. At the same time, we need to take action what we can do today. I'm also uh, a practical optimist where there's so much we can do. Let's do that. And if that only gets us half the way there, it's a start. And that, then you get the flywheel spinning. And it also, I call it the corridor concept. You open a door and that doesn't give you exactly what you need, but you now are in a hallway with more doors. And you, you're in a new place when you iterate. And that's the wonderful thing about agile and I think design thinking in these tools, they also help us here. They help us with this marriage of the physical and the digital where technology can help these very real, real, real things. So it needs to be something that makes sense to individuals where they are themselves their families or communities, and they can take action, something within your control. And then don't make this an ultimatum. It's an all or nothing. It's either we're going to do everything or nothing. Influence your your company, your your government, your community. Just try to make as much progress as possible. Even those nudges, the, the more we do, the more nonlinear it gets. Uh, and then the other side is adoption. Uh, diversity doesn't just count for solutions. It also, as we adopt it in new ways, we'll be able to share those as well. But again, stay optimistic stay practical, and just, just take action. Jeff Cavanaugh, Corey Glickman, I learned so much from you. Let me tell our global listening audience the title of your 
wonderful new book. It's called Practical Sustainability, Circular Commerce, Smarter Spaces, and Happier Humans. And of course, it is widely available as well as on Amazon. And I know you've got some amazing ongoing research. So tell us a little bit about what's happening happening at the Infosys Knowledge Institute before we break. Well, you can access hundreds of assets related to sustainability in other areas in the form of papers, reports, videos, infographics, you, you name it, at infosys.com. That's I-N-F-O-S-Y-S.com slash I-K-I and a variety of different assets. And, and, and definitely sign up, follow us, and you'll be able to, to, to keep up with this because the book is a major piece of research that's been published but we're not stopping. Every month, every quarter, there are, there are new studies, there's new findings, there are new case studies, and we're very encouraged by what's going on around the world. Well, gentlemen, I am grateful that you're not stopping, and I had such a great conversation with you today. Thank you both for joining me. Well, thank, thank you, Caroline. It's been our pleasure. Thank you. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.